You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. We're going to read from Zechariah 4, all 14 verses, and Nicole is going to read for us. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again I asked him, What are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, Do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I said. So he said, These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. All right. Thank you, Nicole. Zachariah today, and if you are as confused as I was in first reading that passage, you're in good company. It is not an easy book, but it is so fun when we get a chance. One of the reasons we come together is to study the Bible together, to learn from each other, to use some good study tools and ask for God's help. And then what can emerge from the page is so exciting to see. So Zechariah is the text that I selected for this year's Why the Why Sunday. One of my daughters saw me preparing the message and looked at the screen on my computer and she said, Is it a Why the Why Sunday again? How often do we do this? And I said, well, once a year, every January, we start the year by telling the story of the YMCA and answering the question, why are we intentionally a church in the Y? In fact, I wore my shirt, I got this this year, City Movement, Churches in the YMCA, City Movement. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're not just here because I like having a hot tub that's down the hall from my office, though that is a nice thing, but we're here for a much greater reason. Now, in case it is not your first Why the Why Sunday, you may be prone to sympathize with my daughter, having heard this story before, but I want to assure you that every year we tell it in a fresh new way. We have a different scripture passage that leads us in. We highlight different aspects of the story year to year. I've got brand new pictures that I'll share with you up on the screen throughout. And this year, so not only did we have Molly Ruby with us, and she, by the way, after service, will be at the connections table. So if you want to connect with her or hear about those job opportunities, do that. But we also invited 
a staff member, a team member from the Y corporate office, who I'll introduce in just a little bit, who's going to close out the message by sharing a testimony with us about what God is doing in the Y of the North. So some fun things today. But that said, the story of the Y's history, of course, doesn't change. And we tell it every year for exactly that reason, that we all get to know it. And we remember it. And I asked my daughter, well, if apparently if she knows it so well, maybe she wants to come and do the sermon. And it was a hard no. But that is the point. That you could tell the why story. You know, like the two-minute version in the elevator. So we're going to start in Zechariah. We're going to find some biblical direction there. And then essentially what happens is the YMCA story illustrates the principles that we'll see in Zechariah. All right, so first half, Zechariah. He's one of the minor prophets, which are the 12 books that finish the Old Testament. And they're not called minor because they're less important, but simply because they're shorter than the big ones. And Zechariah is a prophet who was serving in Israel after the people had returned from exile. So on the timeline, we just celebrated Christmas not long ago. This is 500 years before the first Christmas. For 70 years... At that point, God's people had been living in exile in Babylon to the east. And now God had brought them back to their land, to the land of Israel. And yet the land was in shambles. I mean, the Babylonians had destroyed it. Jerusalem was a shadow of its former self. The temple, which was their key landmark, had been destroyed. And it was a mess. But God had given his people favor with the new king. The new superpower was the Persians. And there was a king named Cyrus who returned them to their land. And he said, rebuild the temple and start your worship services again. It was really amazing. He actually made a decree that this should happen, except it was much easier said than done for a few reasons. First of all, not all the Israelites wanted to come back home. I mean, they'd been gone for 70 years, a few generations, And they'd settled in in exile, and so the numbers of people returning were sluggish. Secondly, there were other people groups living in the land who did not want them to succeed. The Samaritans, for instance, and we read about this in Ezra. Ezra is a great companion book to Zechariah. They interfered with the rebuilding and actually put it to a stop. Even after the foundation was laid for the temple, for 15 years, the construction site was just stalled out. And nothing happened. And then there was the general hardship of starting over again. Times were tough. At this point in history, the economy was really bad where they were. There wasn't enough food on the table. And all of this gave the Israelites reason to doubt if God was with them. And I just want to ask this question for you to kind of park in the back of your mind. Have you ever had reason to doubt if God was with you? That's where they were. They thought, well, why would God call us back if it was going to be like this? In fact, they wondered if maybe had God abandoned them. Maybe, in fact, they or their forefathers had so messed up and had so disappointed God that he had just walked out and he wasn't looking after them anymore and they were on their own. So if that was the case, well, then why even put the time and the energy into rebuilding the temple? Those are the questions and struggles 
that are on Zechariah's mind, on the people's mind as he addresses them. And God says through Zechariah, this is essentially the message of the book, yep, you did mess up, but I haven't walked out on you. I still love you. You do have a sin problem, but when you return to me, when you confess your sins and you come back home, there is reason for hope. There is every reason for it. So build the temple, is what he's saying. Carry this out. I am with you. And that brings us to chapter 4, and this specific part of Zechariah that Nicole read for us today. Zechariah 4 is a vision where an angel wakes up Zechariah from sleep and says, what do you see? And Zechariah says, first couple of verses, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there's two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. Now, you and I read this imagery, and it just sounds foreign. We have a hard time even imagining what this looks like. But it would have been crystal clear for people in the ancient Near East. So it would have been so clear to them. For you and I to walk in the living room and turn on a lamp, that is what this image says to them. A lamp stand was the primary source of lighting. And it ran on oil that was pressed from olives. The oil was stored in bowls or containers. You see the bowls are referenced in the passage. And there was a wick that soaked up the oil to the top of the lampstand where it was all lit. In fact, the only thing bizarre about this picture for them would have been that there are so many lamps and so many lights. It says seven lamps, seven channels of oil. And so this is not your standard lampstand. And they would have caught that right away. And what it means is this surreal kind of imagery says this lampstand would have produced an incredible amount of light. And then notice it's flanked by two olive trees that are supplying it with oil. That's the fuel. And what the olive trees symbolize are the two primary leaders that God is going to use to lead his people in this rebuilding of the temple. Joshua the high priest is one of them. And then Zerubbabel who was more like a civic leader. We might say he was the governor, is Zerubbabel. In fact, God has a specific word for him in verse 6 that is key for our message today. It says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So think about this. Is Zerubbabel going to be successful because he is so smart or so strong, or so handsome, or persuasive, or capable. Is that what's going to make him successful in this project? No. It's not unzerubable. God says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. And on a personal note, as we start out this new year, I think this should deeply encourage you. Because my guess is that you can think of something in your life right now that is too difficult, that is too uncertain, that is too scary, too far gone. You can fill in the blank and the task seems impossible. And maybe you've looked at the situation in your life and you have wondered, is God even with me? Does he still care? Did I mess up so bad maybe that 
he's not hearing my prayers or he's walked out? To which God says, like we said earlier, well, yeah, you did mess up, but it's not on you to fix. It's not on your own strength. I am going to supply everything that you need. Not by might, not by power, but it's going to be by my spirit. And oil in the Bible is a symbol of two things. The Holy Spirit and God's presence. You can think across all these examples of where oil appears. Whether it's the anointing of David or Psalm 23. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It symbolizes these things. And here we've got this lampstand that is lit up like the sun with a continual supply of oil. And God is saying what? I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. And he's saying to his people all of these things in the face of a huge challenge. And you think of the challenges that are before you. It took seven years to build the temple the first time through. And now they don't even have a foundation to work with. And they've got all those problems I talked about earlier. So what does it even look like? What does it even mean on day one to arrive at the construction site and to pick up the shovel? And that brings us to our key verse for today, Zechariah 4.10. Who dares despise the day of small things, or the way we often hear it in another translation, do not despise the day of small beginnings. In my study this week, I read this line. The greatest of efforts and institutions all have had small beginnings. And the Y staff weekly will put up a quote on that whiteboard out there as you're walking through the hall. And it was very similar this week. The quote on the whiteboard this week was, even the strongest blizzards start with a single snowflake. And we want to illustrate this principle through the YMCA. And I want to summarize the why story as we tell it today, landing just briefly on four different headings. We're going to talk about a farm, a church, a factory, and a ship. So first, the farm. In 1821, at this very farm in Somerset, England, there was a boy born named George Williams. And he was the youngest of eight sons. And as he grew, he was described as an ordinary kid, though he was somewhat anxious and a little bit high-strung. But farm life was monotonous, school was monotonous, and George is the baby. He tried to keep up with his bigger brothers, and he also was noted to provide some comic relief. So the real trouble, though, for George was that he was not a very good farmer, so he's Growing up in the family business, and he was distracted and uncoordinated. So he was just clunky, maybe like me over here trying to unveil this painting. And it all came to a head at age 14 when George was driving a hay wagon down the path trying to beat a rainstorm that was coming in. So he wanted to keep the hay dry. And you can see the path in the lower left of this photo. I took this photo when I was there for the first time in 2017. And George was in a hurry. He's got this fully loaded hay wagon, and he gets one of the wheels stuck in a rut. It's very hilly country there, and this whole hay wagon tips over, and the bales of hay are rolling down the hillside. But you know, sometimes when something goes wrong, 
you learn later what God was up to. And certainly God was up to something that day. Because this incident with the hay wagon is what got George lovingly kicked off the family farm. And his parents said, George, we're going to try a new career option for you. And they sent him to trade school. And that brings us to our second heading, a church. It was in the town of Bridgewater, which is about 25 miles away, that George entered the drapery trade. Now, a draper was somebody, so we maybe think of the word drapes, which is true, but that whole job covered dry goods and all kinds of textiles and clothing. And that was George's new line of work. And he's about 14 when he moves to Bridgewater. He's away from home. He is footloose and fancy free, and he is living the high life. So he would work hard, and he would play hard. And he describes his own life later in that season, saying that he came in as a young gun, and he was godless, thoughtless, and careless. You see, George didn't come from a religious family. Now, they did belong to the church. They were like on the membership roster, but it didn't mean anything to them. It was dry. It was dull. And so they only attended out of a sense of duty. But in Bridgewater, George is at this drapery school, and he meets these two other guys who just live so differently than the way that he was living. They seem to be genuine followers of Christ. It just really struck George. In fact, he wrote in his journal that these two guys that he got to know were going to heaven and he knew that he was on this downward path to hell, which later ACDC wrote a song about. You might know that one. So he lived for himself. I mean, that's what he was about. He did whatever he want. He partied hard. The point of life was to have fun. And by the way, he was really good at his job from the very get-go. Like farming had not been a fit, but he shifted careers and he was successful, which reminds us you can be very successful at what you do and very lost at the same time. And that was George. But now he's, he's starting to pay attention to what's going on in his heart to the point that one winter's night, there was a Sunday service at a little church. He goes to this little church called Friar and Chapel and he slips in the back row He was 16 years old. And as the pastor gave the message that night, nobody knows what the sermon text was. Nobody knows what the preacher said. But George Williams in the back row says it was like an arrow went from the word of God and struck him right in the heart. And that night, George went back to the drapery shop after hours and he knelt down on the floor and he gave his life to Christ. Years later, he's writing about this moment in his life, and he says this. I first learned in Bridgewater to love my dear Lord and Savior for what he had done for me. I was on the downward road. I said, cannot I escape? Is there no escape? They told me in this town of Bridgewater how to escape. Confess your sins. Accept Christ. Trust in him. Yield your heart to the Savior. And he said of that night in Friar and Chapel, one more quote for you. I cannot describe to you the joy and peace that flowed into my soul when I first saw that the Lord Jesus had died for my sins and that they were all forgiven. The story of the YMCA is a story of small beginnings. 
It's a story about an ordinary kid who became a rebellious teenager who felt then the weight of his sin lifted by the cross of Jesus Christ. It was the power of the gospel. It was not some genius strategic plan that started the YMCA. So there we've got a farm, a church, and next we go to a factory. Who knows what city this is? You recognize it? So I'll give you a clue. To get the young kids to bed on time on New Year's Eve, we pull up the BBC and we watch Midnight Strike with this city. It is London. And you see St. Paul's Cathedral, right, where Mary Poppins fed the birds, I think, is where that happened, right in the middle. So from Bridgewater, George Williams goes to London where he gets his first real job, now on the other side of trade school, right in the shadow of St. Paul's Cathedral at a big drapery firm that's called Hitchcock and Rogers. Now lots of young people, young guys especially, are flooding into London at this time from the surrounding country. It's on the heels of the Industrial Revolution. And Hitchcock and Rogers was like any other place. And so you might have imagery of like Charles Dickens stories and things. They're working terribly long hours. They sleep on site at work. Imagine if you had to do that. They sleep in dorm rooms. And they spent any free time they had at the bar. Except for George. I mean, he would have been right there too, except now his life was changed. Something had happened to him in Bridgewater. And so he's there with these other young guys. He's making friends. And his heart is just so heavy for his coworkers that they would be set free like he was and come to know Christ's love. So what did George do? He started to pray name by name for his 140 coworkers at the company. Not by might, nor by power, what does it say in Zechariah, but by my spirit. And one by one, as George is praying for these guys, God is answering these prayers, and what he's praying for is happening. One of his biographers said that when George first came to Hitchcock and Rogers, it was almost impossible for a young man to be a Christian there. And that three years afterward, it was almost impossible to be anything else. A move of God was sweeping across this little company because a young man chose to pray. And some of the least likely guys you would have ever thought became followers of Jesus. And they would meet for Bible study. And after work, they'd circle up for prayer and they would spend time together, but now not at the bar, but they're having fellowship and genuine friendship with each other. So that by 1844, George and 11 other young men, he was 22 at the same time that this happened, they meet in an upper room of a factory floor, And overlooking their company, they say to themselves, well, this is amazing. We should call this something. And more importantly, we should bring it to the other factories and the other firms just like ours. And when they met, they gave it the name Young Men's Christian Association. And the YMCA was born. Now, we have to tell this story lest we think that the Y, along with all of the wonderful things it does, is just a family-friendly gym. Or a place where kids get swim lessons. Or a song by the village people. Now one of the guys who was there that day wrote in his own journal, he said that this is why they did it. They founded the Y to influence young men 
to spread the Redeemer's kingdom. And that's exactly what they did. Within a few short years, you can forget London. They had spread this thing to every part of England and Wales and continental Europe and beyond, which brings us to a ship. Now, who knows what this city is? Boston, I heard it out there, yes. Around 1850, there was a retired sea captain, Gail, he was Canadian. You believe that? Gail's from Canada. So he's a retired sea captain in Boston. His name is Thomas Sullivan. And he himself was a Christ follower, and he wanted to reach the fellow sailors, a lot of young guys who were there in Boston Harbor, frankly, who lived a life very similar to the factory workers in London. And he wanted a way to minister to them. And one day he read a newspaper article about this Young Men's Christian Association in London. And he thought it sounded like the perfect idea, and so he sailed to London He went and visited the YMCA, sailed back to Boston, and he founded the first American Y in 1851. Now, with such global expansion, George Williams and the other Y leaders called a meeting in Paris a few years later in 1855. And their objective was to solidify a purpose statement that could anchor the Y and keep it united wherever it went around the world. And today it's in 120 countries. And what they came up with was called the Paris Basis. And to this day, it has been affirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed. It remains the wise global purpose statement. Here it is. The Young Men's Christian Association seeks to unite those young men who, regarding Jesus Christ as their God and Savior, according to the Holy Scriptures, desire to be his disciples in their faith and in their life and to associate their efforts for the extension of his kingdom amongst young men. The only update since 1855 is that the YMCA now, of course, serves women and young and old alike. But what a statement. And just to make sure it's clear, here's the summary. Here's what the Y does. It seeks to unite people around this purpose, to exalt Jesus, to be faithful to God's word, to make disciples, and to spread God's kingdom. Now, admittedly, the YMCA has experienced some mission drift over the years. You know, the Y has adapted to changing times, and and that's all good and well as long as you stay anchored in your purpose. And I think particularly in an American context, the Y hasn't always known how to do that. But the Christ-centered mission is still here. And here is how it is expressed. Molly read it for us earlier. This is YUSA, and it's our own YMCA of the North to put Christian principles into practice through programs that build a healthy spirit, mind, and body for all. So to answer that question, why the why, this is one of the key reasons that we have made our home right here at the Elk River Y. Because we look at this mission statement and we say, YMCA, we love your mission. To put Christian principles into practice like love and mercy and compassion and truth and justice and and the greatest principle of all, the gospel, how can we help you do that? And so here we are. We have said to the why, we're 12, 13 years in, and we're here as long as you'll have us if we don't wear out our welcome. And I thought it would be so fun to finish the message today by hearing just a special testimony of what God is doing, not just in Elk River, but across the Twin Cities Association which is called the Y of the North. 
So we've invited Kerry Givens. He's the VP of Social Responsibility and Military Engagement. He has become a dear friend to me, a brother in Christ. He and his wife Jackie are connected here to the Y Church, friends of the Y Church from a distance. They're from Forest Lake. And so if you would, let's please welcome Kerry Givens as we close out the message. Good morning, and what a blessing it is to be here with all of you this morning. You know, when Bjorn asked me to come and speak about the work, the Christian work that we're doing in our YMCAs, the first thing I thought of was obviously here in the Twin Cities. But then I also started to think about the work that's happening globally. Because when you're in the U.S., some of the first things you think about are our gym and swims, our programs. But yet overseas, they're more focused on social abilities to make sure they're serving young people, to make sure that when you come there, it may not have a gymnasium, but you know what? They're working with getting our older population, taking care of them, working within the communities. And they also use hostels a lot more than what we would do here in the U.S., although it started here. We had hostels, but as things changed and morphed, as Bjorn shared, it made it a little more difficult. So to give you just a quick background, in 1851, the Y came to North America. And in 1866, the Y of Minneapolis was formed, listen to this, was formed at a free will Baptist church. That's how the Y started here. We're celebrating 160 years of the YMCA here in the Twin Cities. And so with that, we've seen a lot of different opportunities to follow in that same footstep. And I love the way you started with small beginnings. When I think about how the YMCA started, it was really with small and humble beginnings. And now today in our YMCA of the North, we are looking at over 27 branches and locations. We've got day and overnight camps. And the work that we're really working on right now is how do we live out the C and the Y? Because as you can imagine, there are many Christians that are part of our YMCAs, but then there are also the naysayers. And so you're going to see that across the country of continuing to do a few things. Live out the C and the YMCA. Don't compromise who we are as Christian believers and be able to serve for all. So as I close this out, I'll talk a little bit about what we're doing here, just again in in the Y of the North. We just hired a new director of Christian Mission, a full-time employee who started with us in May of last year, 2020. And so the mission for our, what we call mission-driven work is really around how do we engage and serve with our YMCA team members in the communities that we love through Christian principles. And then when people ask, well, tell me what that means. What we do is that we live out the C and the Y. We love, care, and share for all. Currently, we have two other YMCAs that have churches in them. We've got chaplaincies in some of our other YMCAs. And we have a goal this year is to increase that number. In closing, I would just say, when I think about humble and small beginnings, and it's not just because he is the pastor of this church, but Bjorn has had his fingerprints over a lot of the work that has happened. 
We are blessed, and you are all blessed to have him as your pastor. And I just want to let you know, even globally, he has been able to share what the YMCA is. He's been able to make some impact in some areas that he was truly called for by God. And so I'm just, again, it's a pleasure to be able to share just a a snippet of what we do here for the YMCA of the North. Thank you. Thanks, Kerry. All right. Well, that was great, Kerry, except that last part. He didn't proof that with me. But what a joy. I hope this story just captures your heart. And I hope personally, too, not only our calling, our place here in the Y, but that this story about Zechariah really resonates with you at the beginning of a year. Do you remember, we didn't have it up on the screen, but just to bring one last verse to mind. Do you remember what they're shouting? Do you remember that part where Nicole read, God bless it, God bless it. I think that captures our voice here in the Y. That we would look at this place and we would say, Lord, bless it. Bless everything that happens here. And may we be part of the work that you're doing in the Y. We're going to invite our worship team back up front, John and the crew. And as we do, let's just close our message time in prayer. And why don't we stand as well to do that? Let's stand and honor the Lord. Well, Lord, we thank you for reminding us of this great story. And it is a story with you at the center. It is a story of your gracious love. Lord, that you would be at work in spite of our lack of might and power and strength. That you haven't left us, Lord, but that your spirit is here. You're calling us to yourself. And I pray, Lord, personally for my friends and brothers and sisters in Christ here that as we look at our life, Lord, and there's, there's obstacles that really seem too difficult, are overwhelming, that we would cling to you all the more. Lord, we love you. We thank you today for the YMCA story and the story that you're writing in each one of our lives to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.